The talk tonight will be about the qualities of openness, acceptance, and intimacy in practice. Before I begin the formal talk, I would like to say a word about talks in general. That the talks are reflections, and they're offered for your reflection. And reflection is a wonderful practice that the Buddha um, talks about over and over again in the scriptures, the practice of reflection. Or he asks people to reflect in a number of different ways. Please include this as part of your practice, this reflection. Can you turn that down just a hair? Yeah, one of those. That one. It's pinging. So that as you're sitting here listening to the talk, looking at me, hearing me, that you're practicing, and it can be an informal practice. You don't have to sit formally with eyes closed, although you can do that also. But that as you're sitting here and paying attention in this way, you're being mindful of your body, sensing it, feeling it, maybe open to the breath as it's showing itself to you here, and also open to the uh, perceptions that you're experiencing. Buddha said uh, in practicing mindfulness of the body, he talked about um, with its perceptions and inner sense, the feeling, just the simple awareness of what's here, of sitting here, and then letting that awareness open outward to the sights and sounds. And it's often helpful, especially at the beginning of practicing, especially with eyes open and listening and uh, talking, to um, maybe put 70% of your attention on your body and 30% on me. And that'll be enough to get anything important I have to say. (laughs) And you'll also be able to sense the uh, reorientation of actually practicing. Because often when we listen to someone or talk to someone, we put all our attention on them. And maybe ultimately we want to come to 50-50, but for right now, just notice what it's like to put about 70% of your attention in your body, and you'll see, you can still hear me and see me fine, that it's actually not, doesn't get in the way. But it's a simple mindfulness practice um, that I find actually very valuable everywhere in daily life. And so here's an opportunity for us to practice it. Some master Dogen said, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened by all things. So one of the ways we can think about what we're doing here, coming on retreat, coming into this uh, arena of renunciation, is to study the self. Who are we? What are we? What is this? 
that sits here. And that to study the self, as Dogen says, is to forget the self or let go of the self or see the selfless nature of self. And so I'd like to offer for your reflection some of the attitudes and qualities which I believe can support us as we undertake the study of the self, study of who are we. And it's not an academic study that we're undertaking here, I'm sure you've noticed. It's not an intellectual study that we're engaged in. It's a direct, immediate, visceral, kinesthetic, mindful exploration of the self in each moment. And so I think the qualities of openness or opening or being open, of learning to accept our experience and be intimate with it, can really help us in this investigation of the self. That we need to be open to our experience, we need to be able to accept it and be quite intimate with it as part of our study of who are we in essence. I want to read to you a little bit. This is from the sports section of the San Francisco Chronicle. Often some uh, a resource and wonderful Dharma material. This is a list of actual questions and co- comments the Forest Service received from backpackers after wilderness camping trips. One person wrote, Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. (laughs) Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness area to rid the area of these pests. (laughs) These are true, what these people are. Please pave the trails so they can be plowed of snow in the winter. We need more signs to keep the area pristine. (laughs) The intention was right there. Here's my favorite. The places where trails do not exist are not well marked. Too many rocks in the mountains. (laughs) These are examples of non-acceptance, non-openness to one's experience. So let's look a little bit at this quality of being open or openness, because I think it's really the forerunner of acceptance. I don't believe we can quite accept our experience if we're not open to it first, if we don't see what it is. And I want, you to, I want you to actually explore it as I'm speaking. You can notice the quality of openness or closeness. 
about the talk, about your reactions to the talk, about your body, how your body feels right now, if you're open to it or not? Are you open to your experience here right now? We're not talking about something to do later, actually. We're talking about we can pay attention to this quality now. So I've been relying on the dictionary, really, to really see what, what do these words mean that we use, open, accept, or intimate. And in the dictionary, as a verb, open meant to set open so as to make passage possible, unclose or unclosed, to unlock, to remove the covering or the wrapping, to free from obstacles, to make accessible, to make known. Doesn't that sound like good practice? You know, to free from obstacles, to remove the covering. And it's partly what Guy was talking to last night in terms of renunciation. That part of the way we remove the covering is simply to let go of our lives and then see how much that's covered for us. See how much that uh, obscures the sense of clear seeing of what's happening just in our busyness and our responsibilities and all the involvements and investments of daily life. And so we come here into this simplicity, which is so radical. It's totally radical, even in beautiful and uh, upper-middle way uh, spirit rock. It's very radical to come into the simplicity of sitting and walking and eating and simply being present with yourself moment by moment. The conditions here support being open because it's harder to cover here. It's harder to close. It's harder to to divert yourself from what's actually here. And that's a good thing. One of some of the other um, definitions, to become unfastened or unclosed, so as to yield access to passage. This is a very interesting one, the next one. To burst and discharge as old wounds, like when a wound opens. And it's really part of the process here. Some of you have already begun to experience it. An old wound just shows itself. And there's no stopping it, actually. We don't have the usual ways of uh, going away from things, or uh, entertaining ourselves in some other ways. And so, things open. It's not even that we have to do so much in terms of opening, but just recognizing the opening that happens in this setting. Another one that I like is to develop or become receptive as a child's mind. That this openness of being that is part of our practice of simply allowing our experience allows the mind to begin to soften. We see we actually don't need to contract against the experience, push it away, deny it, pretend it's not there. And that we can meet it with a kindness or a softness or the openness of a fresh awareness. 
And as an adjective, open means affording approach or view or passage or access because of the absence or removal of barriers, the removal of restrictions, unenclosed, unobstructed, uncovered, unconcealed. Excuse me. Ready and free for engagement. So this quality of simply opening to the breath as it is, not our idea about it, not what somebody told us it should be, not the deepest breath or the best breath, but the breath as it is begins to open us to this quality of being ready and free for engagement with the breath as it is mindful engagement. People come into interviews, and this happened in this retreat also, but it's pretty common sometimes, and the breath is tight, or they feel like they control the breath. And so they're worried about it. How can I relax the breath? And we we tinker a little bit. There's ways to help people do that. But there's, I always offer two alternatives. One is to play with it a little, settle back, sit in your body, let the breath show itself, wait for it, don't do anything. And sometimes it relaxes on its own. The other alternative, which is just as valid practice, is to let it be tight, controlled, contracted, and be mindful of that. Not to manipulate even that. And then we can't do it wrong. It's just the breath, just as it is. And we're being mindful of it. Uncovered, unobstructed, tight, loose, however it shows itself to us. Letting go of our need to manipulate things. So this form, this setting, encourages this quality of openness. First of all, by just taking most everything else we're used to away. And we see how we cover and clutter and clog and conceal by our busyness, by all the wonderful things of our life. And they are, they're great, they're all wonderful. And we don't have to feel bad about them, but we see partly their function that maybe we don't see in daily life when we're here. So, partly when I think about it from a psychological perspective, just to let go of the world lets go of a whole array of defenses against what? What are we defending against? What is it? What is so hard about not having a buffer between this, between ourselves, simply, immediately, directly, mindfully. What's so difficult about studying the self? And, and it is difficult. Now, I don't mean to be at all underestimate the difficulty. It may be very simple, but even in that simplicity, it's very difficult. 
So as we begin to pay attention here in this open way, in this immediate way, we begin to open, I would say, in two different flavors. The first is that we begin to open to the most fundamental experiences of what it is to be a human being. And Vipassana points us very directly at the sights and sounds and tastes and touch and smells and thoughts and feelings. Those basic, universal fundamentals that everybody experiences, we begin to see, oh, that's what's happening. Not pushing them away, not grasping at them, but being open to seeing how things work at that level. So the universality of experience in that way. We're also open to the personal experience that's showing itself here right now. So that, yes, there may be sights and sounds and tastes and touch and sensations and thoughts and feelings for each person here. But they each have a different flavor and story. There's 70-some people here, and everybody's having a whole different story of these. And it's a personal story. And we need to actually honor, respect, acknowledge that experience that's very immediate and very personal. Our reactions, our desires, our hopes, our preferences, our contradictions. Have you seen them? I know you have. People have come into the interviews already with the whole array of life, from birth to death. And so when we open in this way, we open to our vulnerability as human beings. We open to how vulnerable it is to have a body. We open to how vulnerable it is to have a heart, to have a mind, to love people, to be in this quite amazing world with its total and absolute impermanence. So we've taken away the buffers and the diversions and we see all kinds of experiences in this openness, many of which we don't like. And we can be honest, part, a key to the open quality is honesty. We actually can't be open if we're pretending it's something else. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> So you've all seen sleepiness, or restlessness, or agitation, or uh, anxiety, or doubt in the last few days. Boredom. And this is our practice, to simply open to what's here. To be open to when we can't find the breath and to be open to when we can, to the joy of actually when the mind collects for a while, and the difficulty when it doesn't. And the great paradox 
of this practice that I love, I love this paradox, is that to be open in this way means to be open even to our unopenness. This is not a, a kind of pop psychology, you know, everybody let's be open and accepting and intimate. You know, this is not a can of tuna fish we're talking about opening. You know, sometimes people really think that. You just get out the, the uh, mindfulness can opener and we're going to be open. It doesn't work that way. That we're talking about a radical openness that means being open to be totally closed, to be totally contracted, to being totally angry, to being totally resistant, to not liking this whole experience in a moment, and not having to be afraid of that. So we're pointing to an openness that is non-manipulative of experience. We're not forcing ourselves to be open. We're being open to our openness and our unopenness. To when we're unlocked and locked. To when we're allowing access and there's no access. To when we're closed and unenclosed. Being ready and free from mindful engagement, however the moment presents itself. The Buddha, in talking about the practice of mindfulness, said this. He said, because we hold ourselves dear, we maintain careful self-regard both day and night. Because we hold ourselves dear, we maintain careful self-regard both day and night. This careful self-regard is the practice of mindfulness. This sense of holding ourselves dear is really the practice of compassion, of kindness. That this study of the self and maintaining careful self-regard moment after moment after moment does not work without a sense of kindness woven directly into that mindfulness practice. And so openness needs our acceptance. I think of openness as really the beginning to acceptance and acceptance as openness and with a combination of kindness. Of really engaging with care each moment, each experience, good or bad, liking or disliking. Carl Jung said, the most terrifying thing is to accept oneself completely. And in some ways, that's our practice here. That not only do we learn to open, but actually accept ourselves completely. No part left out. Nothing we have to deny. Nothing we have to get rid of. 
nothing we have to change. But to awaken in the middle of this experience. So how to do that? Again, I refer to the words of the Buddha. I'm going to read to you a little from a sutta, which is a very beautiful, a poignant sutta. It's the Greater Discourse of Advice to Rahula. For those of you who don't know, Rahula was the Buddha's son. Guy mentioned him last night in the talk that the Buddha left his wife and young son. When the, his son was 18, he was reunited with the Buddha and joined the order as an apprentice, as a novice. And it's a very interesting story. I won't tell you the whole story, but just a little piece, because um, Rahula's walking behind the Buddha, and the Buddha turns to him, he looked back and addressed the venerable Rahula thus. He said, Rahula, any kind of material form whatsoever whether past, present, future, whether internal or external, gross or subtle, inferior or superior, far or near, all material form should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom thus. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. So the Buddha just happened to be walking, turns around to Rahula and gives them a pretty direct discourse on the truth of selflessness. And it's said in the commentaries why he did this was that he had read Rahula's mind. And Rahula had been um, looking at the Buddha, who was beautiful of continence and physical form. And Rahula was thinking, oh, you know, I look like this guy. It's my dad. I look like him. I'm going to look like that as I get older. And the Buddha kind of turns around and nails him for his vanity right then and there and says, basically, if you think this is who I am, you're missing something. So he gives him this little teaching on selflessness. And Rahula, who's pretty wise, um, he takes it to heart and he says to himself, who would even go into town for alms round for food when they've been admonished by the Buddha? And he goes and sits down to meditate. So if, any, if we give any of you a hard word, you know what to do. Just go sit down at that moment. So Rahula sits down and he's, um, Sariputta walks by him and just sees him sitting there and says, Rahula, develop mindfulness of breathing. So later Rahula goes back to the Buddha and he says, how do you do this? How do you develop mindfulness of breathing? So it is of great fruit and benefit. And the Buddha starts to tell him about the four elements and how it relates to mindfulness of breathing. And really, I think he, and you'll hear it, I'll read it to you, but it, for me, it points to the qualities of openness and acceptance of our experience. He says, Rahula, develop meditation that is like the earth. For when you develop meditation that is like the earth, Arisen, agreeable, and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. Just as people throw clean things and dirty things, excrement, urine, spittle, pus, and blood on the earth, and the earth is not horrified, humiliated, 
and disgusted because of that, so too, Rahula, develop meditation that is like the earth. For when you develop meditation that is like the earth, arisen agreeable and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. So what are arisen agreeable and disagreeable contacts? They're moments of experience. Pleasant, agreeable, unpleasant, disagreeable. You've all had some of these arisen agreeable and disagreeable contacts. How is it to practice so they don't invade your mind and remain? Make your practice like the earth, where you're not humiliated, you're not having reaction. Whatever comes, it's here. And he goes on to say, he says, make your meditation like water. For like water, just as people wash clean things and dirty things, excrement, spittle, blood, whatever it is, in water. And the water is not horrified or humiliated or disgusted. Whatever comes is okay. Make your meditation like fire, just as people burn clean things and dirty things. And the fire consumes it all without being touched by it. Make your meditation like the air. And air blows on all things, clean or dirty, with no preference, with no grasping or pushing away, allowing, open, accepting things as they are, whether we like them or not. He says, Rahula, develop meditation that is like space. For when you develop meditation that is like space, arisen agreeable and disagreeable contexts will not invade your mind and remain. Just as space is not established anywhere, Rahula, let your meditation be like this. This is a father teaching his son. It's, it's quite lovely. Somebody was, came in for an interview today and he said at one point, he said, he had some good meditation, some difficult uh, moments. He said, yeah, I had one wonderful meditation. He said, my breath was like the, um, the waves of an ocean. And he said, so I just became the ocean. So just become the ocean and you'll see what's there. There'll be little waves and big waves. There'll be uh, eddies and pools. There'll be swells and storms. There'll be all kinds of weird fish and beautiful fish. And you know, the fish always eat and have excrement and pot of spittle and pus and all that stuff. So that's all there too. This quality of being open and accepting of whatever comes in our experience as we're mindful, moment by moment. And you can just notice whatever's here now. You don't have to, you know, you could be bored or interested or tired or awake, calm, restless, whatever it is. You don't have to change it. This is the great grace of mindfulness. Can you be mindful of it? Can you be present right in the middle 
of whatever it is. Hmm. So openness opens us to this quality of acceptance, which is really a compassionate openness. And it's the kindness in which we receive our experience, not having to judge ourselves, not having to berate ourselves, not having to even figure out where we're at, how are we doing. Just this, just this moment. And again, the quality of compassion doesn't become some far-off goal after 20 years in a cave. But actually, we can begin to be compassionate right here and right now with whatever comes that's difficult. Or even with our inability to be open and accepting of what's here, we can be compassionate with that. And again, so we weave these strands of awareness, of concentration, and of compassion together. And they make a very strong practice, much stronger than any one strand alone. So again, looking at the dictionary, I looked, at, I looked up acceptance. And there were a number of meanings I like. I'll just give you three. One was to receive, especially with gladness. Another was to regard as proper, usual, right, and true. And a third was to endure patiently. And so try those on as a way to practice while you're here. How would it be to simply receive with gladness whatever comes as a practice of mindfulness? Or, okay, maybe you can't be glad about it. It's not what's happening. How about at least acknowledging that it's proper, usual, right, and true for what it is to be a human being and what human beings experience? Both the best of it and the worst of it. This is something, whatever you're experiencing, is simply proper, usual, right, and true for what human beings have known forever the suffering and difficulty of the body, the pains of the heart, the machinations of the mind that won't let you sleep at night, the joy of a collected, concentrated, aware, awake moment, the simplicity of a step, the beauty of the rain or the fog or the mist. Sometimes we don't even care if it's simple, proper, usual, right, true. Sometimes to accept means simply to endure patiently. Maybe that's the best we can do. That is also accepting. A poem from Wendell Berry describing what we're talking about, openness, acceptance. The simplicity. He says, I go among trees and sit still. All my stirring becomes quiet around me like circles on water. My tasks, the world, lie in their places where I left them asleep like cattle. Then what I am afraid of comes. 
I live for a while in its sight. What I fear in it leaves it, and the fear of it leaves me. It sings, and I hear its song. What I am afraid of comes. What I fear in it leaves it, and the fear of it leaves me. It sings, and I hear its song. So when we come to practice to spiritual life, we have many ideas, many desires, many yearnings, some of which are really wonderful. Your intentions, wanting to be free, awake, liberated, maybe realizing the truth of impermanence or compassion, or simply being whole or healed. But if you're like me, when I came to spiritual life, I not only wanted all those things, I had an idea about how it was supposed to happen, how I was supposed to get those things. And what that looked like a lot meant getting rid of Eugene, getting rid of the one who doesn't like things, or who's irritated, or who's afraid, or who's sad, or who's scared. I thought, oh, I'll just meditate and that one will be gone and then I'll be just kind of blissful and happy and bubbly and clear and wise all the time. It worked. (laughs) No, it didn't work. It didn't work. Actually, I'm, I'm really happy it didn't work that way. Because it would have meant that I was doing it in some way. And I see clearly now I'm not doing it. It's doing me. That these feelings, thoughts, the difficulties, what's beautiful, what's simple, what's complicated, it's training me to awaken. It's not me having to manipulate it, get rid of it, fix it. Opening to it, allowing it, is teaching me what spiritual life is about. It's often a rude awakening to realize that the path sits here, just as you are. Not some way you think you should be, but that the path is what is here. With all our hiccups and warts and wrinkles and bumps and bruises and hurts and our bodies, which are getting older, and our emotions, the ones we like and the ones we don't like, and our minds with its planning and desiring and wanting and not wanting and hopes and hopelessness and despairs, Bhikkhu Suchito said, what sustains the spiritual life is that it becomes independent of one's own volition. It has a life of its own that one comes to recognize and serve. 
that we aren't doing it, it's doing us. And that we can support that by aligning with these qualities of openness and acceptance. And it really allows us to really know very deeply that this is not simply about feeling good. That this practice is about freedom. It's about liberation. It's about letting go in a very deep way. One of my teachers, Hamid Ali, wrote about acceptance. He said, We need to let go, rest, just be. We need to accept what is, not just mentally, but with our whole being. The more that I accept, the more I am in the present, and the more I, let, I will let go of even attainment. It's letting go of what I want most, but the more I let go and just be, the more I am here now, accepting what is. Acceptance feels like taking a risk. It's like jumping off a cliff. I accept more the more I trust in reality. At some point, I must jump, leap, totally forget, abandon the search, the future, the past, attainment or failure, reward or punishment. I just leap into nothingness. When this state of abandon is realized, I find that I am alive as if for the first time. It is the first time. It is the first time I am alive, awake, bodhi, as the Buddhists say. It happens whenever I accept myself completely, let go of preconceptions and just be. The more I accept, the more I die and the more alive I am. Total acceptance is complete death and complete death of the manipulative ego is full rebirth, awakening. So the last quality that I want to speak to really comes out of this quality of fully accepting our experience. One of the, um, the origin of the word accept comes from receive, and receive means to embrace. And so embrace starts to point us at this quality of intimacy with these experiences that are unfolding here, moment after moment after moment. When, uh, a few years ago, I met an ex-monk named Kitty Saro. And Kitty Saro had been a monk for about 15 years in the monastery. And in the monastery, when he was a monk, he met a woman, I, I can't remember her name, who ultimately became his wife. And she'd been in the monastery 10 years. And they met, and there was some energy that happened between them. And they were both very uh, virtuous practitioners. They didn't do anything about the energy. They noticed it. They were mindful of it. It was there. And then, uh, so they didn't act on it in any way when they were in robes. But then they decided they wanted to investigate it. So they left the monastery, which technically is usually called disrobing, and um, <laughs> it's just, just what they call it. 
And they got together as non-monastics and married, and they'd been married a few years when I uh, met Kitty Saro. And I really was interested in that, because I think relationship is one of the edge of practices for us. And so I talked to Kitty Saro. I went, the first question I asked him, I said, how is it? How is it to practice being in relationship? And he said this beautiful thing to me. He said, it's like having two people under one robe. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? I, I feel like he gave me such a great teaching. Two people under one robe. So the intimacy that he developed with himself of 15 years of practice, he just expanded in his relationship. And I feel like I, I think of it often in terms of being married myself. And I think of it even bigger, that that's really the practice, is to allow that intimacy to keep expanding out partner, children, friends, community, the world. And we develop that intimacy right here with your breath. Think about it. Reflect for a minute. When you feel intimate, when you've had a real experience of being intimate with someone, what's happening? What's there? First of all, you're there very fully. You're really there. You're not off thinking about other things. When you really have had an experience of intimacy, you're really there. You're with the person. You're with yourself. Everything's very distinct. There's a kind of samadhi that's there, a real collectedness. The experience is very full, very immediate. You're really aware of the nuances of experience, of how somebody says something, or how their body reacts when you're being intimate, or how your body or your feelings react. You're really mindful of the various changing nature of phenomena as it's occurring. You're very aware of the flow of what's happening. You're not um, distracted, disconnected. You're also not covered. One of the qualities of being intimate is a sense of actually being open, seeing and being seen, feeling and uh, being felt. And even accepting others' faults, their shortcomings. You know how you, when you're really feeling intimate with someone and there's that quality, it's okay, whoever they are. They're not perfect, you see that, but it doesn't matter because you're really there and they're there. And you're also usually appreciating the preciousness of the moment. When we're feeling intimate, we actually know it doesn't last. We can feel the, the transitory nature, the impermanent quality right there. It's not just an idea about impermanence. We can feel the lived impermanence. I had a friend who wrote about um, impermanence he, he called, and relationship. He talked about the eros of shared impermanence. And the mystery, because we know, we see how trans parent everything is in that amazing sense of closeness or intimacy. Can you bring that quality to your breath, which is just as amazing and mysterious as anything in this world that we are sitting here breathing?
in the instructions this morning, I really liked the way Guy put it. He said, he said, when you find the breath, when you begin to feel it, let your attention rest there and let that attention mingle with the sensations of breath. Let the awareness mingle. That's starting to move towards the intimacy because the intimacy also moves us out of our separate sense of self. There's not the breath in someone who's breathing. There's just breath. Dogen, who I began this talk with, who said to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to let go or forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened by all things. The character in Japanese for enlightenment or awakening is the same as intimate. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. As we let go of this small sense of self and move closer, more intimately with each thing, it will awaken us. The last dictionary piece for you. The root of intimacy is intus, I-N-T-U-S. It means of the hidden. Intus means of the hidden. There is a quality of mystery here. We don't know what a breath is. Let go of your ideas preconceptions. Abandon them all and dive into one breath. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.